Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Inza Stanley, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Jen Brubaker. This season, we're chatting with people from different walks of life to hear their stories and how God has been faithful throughout. So snuggle your cat, go for a jog, make some art, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. I am pumped for today's episode because today we have my sweet friend, Andrea Chartier. Share her story of God's faithfulness in her life and throughout her journey with post-concussion syndrome. She's incredibly wise, discerning, loves Jesus with her whole heart. One of the most thoughtful people I know. She's currently studying at McEwen University in Edmonton and has a passion for music, specifically jazz. You're gonna love her in our conversation, so enjoy. Andrea, welcome, welcome, welcome. I so wish we were in person, but until we can travel, this will have to do. Um, We met through a mutual friend in Ontario and our friendship has really grown from there. I treasure our relationship and I'm always so encouraged by the way you live and serve Jesus. So thank you so much for coming, coming. I wish we were together. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Yes, we're so excited. So tell us about yourself. Where are you from? What does life look like for you? Yeah, um, well, first off, I'm so honored to be on this show. You guys know I'm such a big fan, so it's like surreal. I'm like going (laughs) to be listening to myself later (laughs) anyway. uh, Yeah, so to to describe myself, I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. So I've just built my whole life around seeking him through knowing him through his word and uh, understanding more of the character of God through seeing the life of Jesus and all of those things. So that's just the largest and most important part of my identity. So we could stop there, but I'll fill in some other details. Um, I, yeah, so I'm married. So I guess my spouse is relevant enough to to mention. Um, His name is Connor. He's wonderful. We're really different people in a lot of ways, I think. But the one thing that we have in common that's really unifying for us is Jesus. And so he is, yeah, someone who I really admire in a lot of ways. He's a primary care paramedic. So that's a good, just tangible demonstration of the way that he pairs like service and action just innately. And so, yeah, I really look up to him in that. And so I'm glad to be rubbing shoulders with someone who hopefully makes me more like Christ in the ways that I kind of lack. And hopefully that's mutual right? the other way. <laughs> I, I pray anyway. And other main point, I am a musician kind of artsy in general. So first, I'm a vocalist as my main instrument. I'm also a pianist, but that kind of facilitates my singing a bit. Then composer, arranger, all those kind of stuff that you that you do when you're in music school. <laughs> and uh, yeah, lyricist, I really love um, writing words. I'm such a words fan in a lot of ways. And um, soon to be podcaster, hopefully. So they'll be coming down the line eventually. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I am originally from Lethbridge, but uh, have somehow, you'll hear a bit of that story, but gotten to Edmonton with Connor now. We live in downtown Edmonton. And the last point about me, I guess, to summarize that's really significant now is my post-concussion syndrome, yeah, which I know we'll delve into a fair amount here. So, mm-hmm. 
I want to start off and say that your story needs to be heard. There's so much more to you than just um, post-concussion syndrome. Just want to make that real clear. But I know a lot of people, however it looks, can relate to the story of unseen suffering, whether that is emotionally, whether that's physically, like however it looks, um, a lot of us have wrestled with that. When we first met and shared our life story I felt like somebody really understood and saw me and the things I was dealing with especially in my own health journey um, and I felt like I could exhale in a sense for the first time in a really long time because I felt like somebody got me so thank you for being there and being willing being here and being willing to share your story it is really needed and I hope it allows people to feel seen too so to start things off tell us what it was like for you growing up Oh, thanks, Jen. That's so mutual, too. I'm so glad God was able to use both of us in in similar ways to sharing that. And I hope it touches, yeah, people who are able to listen to that. That'll be a an experience, even though we're distant. Uh, I am from a Christian home, so I am so grateful to have had an awareness of the love of God my entire life. And I think that's been really formational for the way that I understand myself in the world. And internally, I always had a very, I don't know, organic faith. And God was just a very tangible, like, character in my life. Like, I just saw him as any other person, my mom and dad and my sister and, and God, and interacted with them kind of similar amounts, I guess, which is really cool to have that, um, I don't know, the faith of a child, right? And that continued to grow through my adolescence in different ways. I think I've always been really glad to have had that really personal relationship with God through those middle school and high school years as well. But externally, I was like the biggest goody two shoes ever. It's it's sad. Like, I don't think you could be more well behaved, <laughs> behaved than me. And uh, yeah, also just like a really big perfectionist. A lot of that kind of came out in different ways, both in like I guess, moral character and in accomplishments too. Really overcommitted, not even in a breadth, not even, yeah, just in a breadth of things, but also in what I did, I would just go 110% with everything. And therefore I really excelled at everything that I kind of tried, except for sports. Let's just like leave that one to the side, but <laughs> in like, like academics and musical co-curriculars and that. And I really don't mean to say that pretentiously. I think I'm at a point now where, where I recognize that that's, um, a lot of that led to a lot of pride issues and different motivations that weren't Christ-like. And so I've been able to recognize and like through my story to see the faults in that. But there was very much like a sense of, I don't know, when I was being thrust into the world after high school, like I owed the world something from my giftings and it needed to be something great. And like this deservingness because I was skilled in that, in whatever things it was, it was like, oh, I'm I am meant to because I've worked really hard to do something, um, set myself up for something significant according to the world, right? So yeah, that's a small summary of things, but I think it's the relevant points for our further discussion here. So uh, kind of still looking back when you were younger, what what did you think your life was going to look like? Like what was what was the dream? So first off, I love this question and I just want to thank you for asking it because I think everyone has this 
projected expectation of their lives that only they know what it actually is and you can communicate it but like i think when we see other people we see whatever story has been unfolding and we are able to really gladly accept that and celebrate that but like we don't experience that grief that everyone may come to at every point in their lives eventually right there's a discrepancy there and so i just wanted to thank you for like articulating that and just honoring the difference so that we can kind of see and recognize that so for me it took me a long time in my growing up to like sift out what i wanted to dedicate myself to but once I, so I graduated high school, I went to Bible school and that whole other thing. It was such a foundational year for me. But after that, my plan and the dream was to go to the University of Toronto as a vocal jazz performance major. And for those of you who don't know, U of T is just like a hugely, I don't know, imp impressive school, I guess. And even particularly for the jazz program too, like that was the dream school for me. So when I got in, that was like, Oh, that was just like the big deal that I was doing what I had kind of prepped myself up to do. And then past that, after I got a degree in music, my plan was to do a master's in speech language pathology, become a speech language pathologist. I always want to say those slowly because if I mess it up, it's so ironic. Anyway, uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then I wanted to like after that, I was like, OK, I'm going to be a professional in these areas, passionate about communication and helping people with that. And then I would hope to be a wife and then a mother. And then I always saw myself being like super involved, over involved in the community, whether it be church and the choral scene and the jazz scene and the theater scene. I just was like just a full kind of busy life was what I was equipping myself for, for a breadth of that. And also just like a level of professionalism. And I guess if I'm honest, like eliteness in all of those things, like, oh, I've gotten all the best education to do this. Like that's kind of what I what I saw myself going towards and what I had the opportunity to do honestly I was like right on track so mm. when did you realize your life wasn't going to look like how you thought it would so I'm going to answer this question in two different ways one when my life actually started to not look how I thought it would versus when I realized my life wasn't going to look how mm. I thought it would and that it wasn't because those are those happen very different <laughs> very different times yeah. I kind of um I'm going to probably drag out this analogy too much, but it works for me. So with a train, you know, like you're riding along in a train and then you, I don't know, feel maybe a bump for a split second, but you think it's fine and you keep going. And then eventually hours later, you look out and you're like, oh, this is a completely different scenery than I expected. Right. If you pull back to that bump moment, let's say that was actually when, you know, I don't know the proper terminology, but when the train tracks like switch over right and you've actually gone on a completely different path but you don't recognize that until you see that the consequences or the outcomes of that I think that was for me so the like switching point of the tracks going somewhere else that was for sure my head injury that was the moment when I look back that like wow because that happened everything since then has gone in a radically different direction but the whole realizing piece is honestly at a different level every day. I like grasp what that realization means in a different capacity, in a different capacity. And I think early on in the journey, right, that kind of like realization um, was in doses. I realized, oh, maybe this week is different than I thought it would, maybe this month, maybe this year, maybe this. And I think 
gradually I have to be like, oh, I'm realizing how like longer and longer seasons are actually impacted by it. And I'm at this point now where I'm like, oh, this could be permanent, right? So now I'm realizing that maybe the rest of my life would look, look different versus before when it was like, oh, I realized that this short season would. So yeah, I think that it's like grappling with the discrepancies between the two trajectories that I just like mentioned before. Um, and there's a, an Andrea inside of me that still wants that first one, right? Like even when I'm living this other one and seeing all the good and like beauty that God has grown out of it like I'm still the same person with the same passions and desires but just stuck in a limited um circumstance and situation and so I'm trying to figure out yeah the intricacies of how those interact what was the hardest to navigate as you walked through the initial stages of your injury so I'm gonna refer to initial as like the first few days to probably the first year. And, you know, I'm probably actually in the initial stages because this will probably last a lot mm. longer. Um, so I'm probably still there. But uh, so I'll just have like, there are like four main points that I think um, can hopefully express the challenges in unique ways. So one is the invisibility. So even especially at the very beginning for myself, like I had to learn to recognize and validify the illness to myself and be like, no, this is, these are the symptoms I'm feeling. This is the pain that I'm experiencing. Right. And to accept that and then like respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. And then there's that piece of like, once I'm actually able to convince and describe it to myself and accept it myself, then I have to communicate that to others because it's invisible to them. And so that was a huge growing journey and still continues to be like that that responsibility is on me to allow those around me to to understand what I'm experiencing. And I think so I and this is true for everyone in a certain capacity but I have this like fundamental need to be understood. It's been like my thing for as long as I can remember. And so sometimes, mm. honestly, I think that God like, or that my illness is like directly fashioned to be the most difficult for my personality type sometimes, which is, um, which is good, but it's really hard. Cause in that it's like, no one understands the pain that I'm in. No one understands my circumstance at all. You you don't see it. I look like a completely healthy young woman. And even for those who also have head injuries or also have post-concussion syndrome itself, we all have completely different symptoms. Like there's no two head injuries in the world that are exactly the same. And so there's that level of, you know, that only God actually understands. Sometimes I'll do check-ins, be like, hey, it's like the pain's there, right? You know, <laughs> just to be like, oh, that's been something that um, I think has uh, drawn me closer to God in that. There's also the unknown aspect of like, I love control, okay? And I love plans and results. And I love my own effort having like a direct correlated response to, you know, whatever the outcome will be. Like that's how I saw life working up until that point. It was just like a cause and effect very clearly. And so with this, there was such an uncertain timeline and therefore all of my plans moving forward. And so it's kind of funny because I was like really drawn to James 
um, James 4, verses 13 to 15, that just like nails this on the head and was so convicting. It says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. And that was like totally me all the time. Like, oh, now I'm going to do this for this year and that. And I just like would readjust my plan according to every like couple weeks that I was still sick, right? Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And it continues. But I was like, that reality that we, that's true for all of us. But I was like way more hyper aware of it. I'm um, considering the limitations and the unknowns of my condition. And then there's also the unknown aspect of what to do to heal. Like anyone who has experienced this knows, and especially when I first got my concussion, which I got it in um, 2016, so much research has been done um, on the topic of concussions. And there's so much that we don't understand. And so legitimately, I would go to, I went to like over 10 different practitioners within the first year easily. Every single one of them told me to do something different and drastically different. So like one person would be like, if you're not lying in bed endlessly for th until your headache goes away, like you might have to deal with this in six months. I remember being, oh, well, that's ridiculous, right? And then I go to the next person after doing that. They're like, no, you need to be doing gradually more activity. And then I'd be like, well, and that's continued because I'm like, I don't know the best way mm. to even take care of myself. I don't know the best way to have the results. And even when I did the things that we thought was best, new research comes out that that was actually hurting me. And so it was such a like, that whole system of like, you do this and this happens was just so disillusioned for me. Another aspect is dependency. This is huge. I was raised, bless my mother, she'll be listening and she knows this. <laughs> I, I was raised like you are never to be dependent on especially a man, right? Like that whole like self woman depend, like you are dependent on yourself kind of thing, which I think does a lot of good. But um, at that time, like I was so dependent on whatever it may be and I had to choose at that time what to be dependent on and that's when I experienced just like full and utter dependence on God and I had to learn like that I'm not self-sufficient and I can yeah we'll get into that more as we go but then the last thing that I think was so hard in the initial times and continues to be is a head injury and any chronic illness that's what I can speak to is it forces you to kind of be in the middle ground all the time like I not to swear but like half doing <laughs> half doing my life right where it's like I would always like I said always either do nothing or 110 percent and that was those are the only two options and so even for me now if I give as much as I can that's like I don't know like 70 percent or something like and it was like this acceptance of what I felt was like the worst fear of mine, which is like mediocrity, mediocre. I said that word wrong, mediocrity. And so, yeah, I think having to accept that and grapple with that, those were the big highlights of like what were completely thrown in the face of what I was used to and what I had kind of like built my own functioning around. As you're talking, I just... I'm just blown away by the way that God moves and works in our life. 
like that understanding piece oh my gosh when you're like I hate being misunderstood I say that probably once a month in situations that come up I'm like why am I feeling this way trying to be like yeah self-aware of what's going on in my heart and my head and realizing that's often at the root of it and how God allows us to walk through things to to heal those areas and to allow us to surrender is freaking hard Mm -hmm. um what lesson did God teach you that you struggled the most? And this question is in past tense, and it might still be a present uh, mm. struggle. That Thanks for that clarification, too, because I think that's often the case. I mean, obviously, God can do huge transforming work for all of us in struggles, and we can be completely healed from something. But I do think most of the time that's like a continued choice, and God equips you with the ability to tackle it. Anyway, um, yeah. What I struggled the most to learn, that God doesn't need me. Like, he will use me, but he does not need me. And I think that's obviously very anti-cultural, like, in general. Like, oh, no, you're worth the world. You are everything. All of these things that we do to, like, uplift ourselves. And then that's even within the church, I think. Like, no, Jesus died for you. Like, he gave everything so that you could be saved, which is completely true. It is very true. But it is not as true as the fact that Jesus died so that he would be glorified, so that God would be glorified. And that's, like, such a biblical concept that I don't think we comfortably tackle a lot. And okay, I love this analogy. A mentor of mine has used it. So apparently I'm metaphoric today. (laughs) So let's say you want to make chocolate chip cookies, okay? But you don't have any chocolate chips. You're going to go to the store. And it is completely true to say that you went to the store to buy chocolate chips. But it is more true and more holistic and complete to say that you went to the store to buy chocolate chips so that you could make chocolate chip cookies. Like in that analogy, we are the chocolate chips and God's glory is the chocolate chip cookies, right? Stretch. But it's a good way for us to kind of grapple that, <laughs> grapple with that. And so um, I have to move myself out of the center of that Christian narrative because unless I understand that, I will be useless to his kingdom because I will be in the way of the way of Jesus. And I think that was something that I understood theoretically before that, but it's a whole other thing to have to like practically apply that every day. Like when I am in a dark room, totally useless to the world and like by the world standards, right? God is still completely without my contribution. God's purposes are going to come to fruition and he is still at work and doing everything that he was going to do and that he will do. But now like I'm, I get to recognize that I get to join him in that rather than it being like, Oh, he needs me. It's like, I have the honor of joining in what God is already going to do. And I don't have the reference right here, but I know that in Esther, um, when Mordecai says like, perhaps you were made for such a time as this, Before that, he says, I am not quoting this properly, but I know he says something to the effect of like, God's will is still going to happen, but like whether by you or by someone else, but maybe he has prepared you for this moment. And so I think God had to take me out of that moment and be like, hey, you are not needed so that he could place my heart in the right way to like be able to join back in his work following that. I love that idea. I think when you realize that God doesn't need you, I think at first it's really hard to accept. 
Like, I think it's mm-hmm. almost like a, a sense of like, I don't know, for me, like worthlessness also like, wait, God doesn't, God doesn't need me. Like what? But when you actually process that and actually like spend time with that, like it's actually freeing. Like when you go through reflecting on that, I think that it actually frees you up to be, I love what you said about not being in the way of the way of Jesus. Like, I think it helps you get out of mm. the way. Um, in, in that sense. So I just, I think that's such a good, um, picture of looking at it of like we get to not like we have to and and Mm -hmm. if you're somebody like you or many of us that really wrestle with that I need to do things in order to like that's just who I am I do things and I think that's a very western narrative and I think that there is so much freedom in that um we're going to switch a little bit to talk about your your perspective on suffering. And it's funny because we've had quite a few conversations with people um, in real life and on the show and this topic of suffering. And I think it's been coming up a lot for people because we're in the middle of pandemic and to some extent, everybody's suffering across the globe. And suffering is a tough word. Like I would say it's almost like a bit of a church curse word because there's this big prosperity gospel that says that suffering mm. is bad and God doesn't want that. And most people who have actually gone through suffering have very different thoughts about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Me being one, I think that it's very formative. Um, So just talk last five years, how has your perspective on suffering changed? That suffering is not the exception. It is the way of Jesus, right? Just exactly what you said. I think that we have in a lot of churches, particularly in, um, in the Western world have flipped that narrative on its head and said, God came so you could be victorious. And that is true, but I think we've misarticulated that. We've misdefined what victory is now Mm. in the now and not yet before the full fruition of God's kingdom. And so I have like some of these verses, I just wanted to demonstrate. It's all over the Bible, this concept, but just to pick out a few. So this is one I've been spending a lot of times in Philippians a lot of time in Philippians lately, and you'll notice that um, because there's a lot of references here that I wanted to mention. But like I noticed here, verse um, chapter one, verse 29, this is Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi, right? He says, for it has been granted to you, granted, granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Like granted to you to suffer for him. That just turns that whole narrative on its head. And then, you know, in Luke 9, 23, it's in other gospels too. But like God said, sorry, Jesus says that you have to take up your cross and follow me. Like take it. That's an image of suffering itself. An image that we can hardly grasp in this day and age in a completely different culture. And then, um, okay, Hebrews 2 verse 10. I won't read the reference right now, but it even connotates that Jesus himself was made perfect through suffering, which is a loaded theological question and statement, but it's like, it's there. Like God himself was made perfect through suffering in his humanity. And then back in Philippians, uh, Philippians 3, 10 to 11 I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, which is just like, 
I don't know, until I really, like you said, Ainsley, until I really experienced suffering, I don't think that um, I really understood it to the same extent of recognizing, like, no, I wasn't, my suffering was not like persecuted because of my Christianity, right? And some of those verses are more specific towards that circumstance. But God does so much formational work of making us more into the image of Christ through suffering. And I think if we try to skip out from that, we're completely missing the point of what it means to follow Jesus. And yes, like I don't mean to have the negative spin of being like, suffering is your entire life. But the thing is, it might be, but God came, yes, to bring peace and the joy and all of those things within that. Um, and he came to do that, but Jesus first and foremost, like came to suffer, right? The gospel is he came to die and then raise again. And yeah, I think removing that is just like, so, so away from the point. And so my experience was able to implement that into my like day to day, like living with chronic pain. Like I had to know, like, this is not against what I believed. This is actually like demonstration of what I believed, right? Eight, like, I'm just sitting here, Andrea, preach. Because, yeah, we wouldn't say, like, oh, my gosh, I hope you have a horrible day and suffer lots. But because it's obviously not what we say to people. But there is such a gift in suffering. And and it is it's hard to say, but it is a gift. It really is. Mm-hmm. You had your head injury 2016. You got married in 2019. And what has it been like to bring someone into your suffering? Yeah, humbling, I would say, is like my first response to that. And so vulnerable, as well as empowering. And I think those two come together a lot more than we expect them to, right? But initially, just absolutely terrifying. And I do want to contextualize this a little bit because I think it is relevant to appreciate um, for my story. So my head injury itself was actually accidentally, but um, it was caused by someone who I was in a romantic relationship with at the time. And so as a result of that, my whole entire relationship with my head injury and this condition that it's, you know, developed into was so, so intimately connected with a romantic relationship and that romantic relationship in particular, right? And so I think that had a lot of consequences for, because of the fact that, um, you know, he had to deal with a lot of the guilt and the ramifications of that. And he just wasn't in a place where he was able to steward that in a way that was beneficial to me at all. And so that relationship ended really quite swiftly right after my injury itself and we were no longer in one another's lives at all and so that gave some messages to me of like that my illness itself is too big of a burden to someone in that type of circumstance and many other things that were developed there and I honestly one of the most powerful aspects of I think my journey with my head injury is the level of forgiveness and just the complete forgiveness that God has brought into my heart through the next couple of years following that. And so I don't mean to speak poorly of him by any means because I have so much grace for, um, and God's been able to give us opportunity to reconcile in ways that I never expected to. And so I recognize that that was just a time that had difficult consequences for both of us. But 
I had to really work hard actively to separate like him and um, my whole understanding of romance from my head injury. And God was able to bring so much healing to that. Um, but and that all happened, like all of that healing that I would say happened before I even met Connor, which I'm so grateful for. And the friends of my life can attest to like walking through that with me and seeing the level of healing. So it wasn't like I needed someone else to demonstrate it to me so that I understood or like so that I got these truths. Um, but then after I already understood that is when Connor came into my life and chose to demonstrate those truths and I think walking into that relationship having the context that I had it was still like I think one thing if anyone with chronic illness is listening to this like I had this feeling that like it was very it was almost cruel of me to ask someone to join my life because mm. I was like I don't want to put this on anyone else I know what it's like and I felt like it was just unkind to ask that of someone and so the way in which Connor just like radically pursued me in that time was so, I think God knew I needed something so drastic and so powerful to show me that like Connor sees my worth in all of these other aspects and is also able to see my head injury as, you know, the challenge that it is, but within the context of the fact that we all have burdens, right? In any relationship that you go into, whether it's friendship or romantic, but particularly, you know, especially when you become a spouse, you choose to carry one another's burdens. We're not void of burdens, right? And, you know, Connor was very intentional and we wrote our own vows, but when he said, and Jen was at, at our wedding, she can remember this when he, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. When he chose to say like in sickness and in health, right? Mm. That was like something that we understood and that I was like, man, someone is choosing to, choosing to love me with this. And I've chosen to love Connor with other things. He doesn't have any chronic illness by any means, but there are choices there too. And I think the fact that, like, this is one thing too, that he always says, and especially at the beginning, like, your illness is not a burden, Andrea. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, like, I get the sentiment and that's so lovely and romantic and sweet and like what I know you think I needed to hear. And I, but like, I know it is, like, I know that PCS is a terrible burden. And I know, and I think Connor maybe at this point would really recognize, you know, it is a burden for me too. But knowing that like, that's okay to say, because Connor has chosen to recognize that as a weakness of mine in my life and see that rather as a, not as a disadvantage, but as an opportunity to bring that together to God and an opportunity for God's power to be seen through that. And that as being a valuable opportunity rather than a, um, a negativity that's like, oh, I'm not worthy of love and relationship. It's like, hey, this is another thing that we get to see God in. Um, and I think that's a huge, huge difference of understanding in that. And Connor is also like, when it comes to marriage now, I would say he is able to like validify my illness to myself at different times too. And just recognize like that understanding piece that we mentioned, like I don't have to, he knows that I'm always in pain, right? Like I don't have to remind him of that. And so anything else that I say, he'll be able to recognize without the context, sorry, with the context that other people lack. And so that's really wonderful that like, I don't have to say something, but at the same time, like 
Connor is so good at holding me accountable to love and stewardship in my illness as well. Like sometimes I can think about it in the fact that like, okay, let's say any normal person who is healthy experience like the symptoms that I have at this very moment, right? Or at any random moment of my life, right? If they suddenly felt those, they'd be like, whoa, I got to take the day off. I got to recover from this. I'm going to stay in bed for a day or however long it takes. And then I'll go back to my life. But those with chronic illness, like you can't do that because otherwise I would have absolutely no life, right? It's just not the option. And so sometimes I get into the like, do you know what? I'm sick and I never get to be sick. I don't get sick days. So I just need to giving myself an excuse. And there can be a place for that. Um, but Connor is so good at like calling me out on that, which is such a loving thing to do and be like, no, this is your thorn in the flesh. And you are still called to live that out and steward that. And yet somehow he's able to communicate that to me with grace too. And he's not perfect by any means. Like he's very much a fixer. Um, so that's, that's not always the best solution. Right. But, um, and then there's also like the dependency piece that I spoke on is that practically, like I'm completely dependent on this man. Like I make very minimal income and I don't expect myself to be able to make a substantial amount of income moving forward either. And so just like accepting that, like that's such a humble thing to like accept someone's practical contribution to my life. It's such a loving thing that I never really appreciated up until now to the same extent. You take your parents' provision for granted, right? We shouldn't, but we do. And so when Connor chooses to be like, I'm paying for you to eat, you know, <laughs> like I'm like, wow, like I, I need to get rid of my pride and just like take that, right? Uh, what do you know about God that you did not know before you got a head injury? I didn't know that he was sufficient. Like, I, I would have said that before, and I would have meant it totally. I would have meant that God was sufficient, but I didn't know it, right? I didn't know it in experience and in, like, I can look to that moment in my life and know that when I had nothing else, I had him. And because that was a point when I was completely like I said, dependent on God, but I was disillusioned of everything except him, right? So I anything that I would have put my identity in outside of Jesus was just completely taken away from me. One, like my head, which is like my intellect. And like I had a lot of kind of pride in my competency in academically and just um, intellectually, right? And that was like, obviously head injury is like, oh, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna steal that one out from you. I also had a really significant vocal injury that wasn't associated with my singing, but impacted it. And I wasn't able to sing for like two years. And I had to go through a whole healing journey. And that happened like within a week of my head injury, the diagnosis of that. So that was all at the same time. And then also the heartbreak that I walked through that was like taking away. So the voice was a piece of like communication and the way that I felt God was calling me to like work in his kingdom and do all those things. And then her heartbreak was very much speaking towards like how I took my identity as like someone who could sustain relationships, someone very loyal, something, someone caring and that whole relational aspect of me. And honestly, without all those, I was like, what else do I have to stand on? And so I recognized that when I had nothing else, God was completely sufficient. And I had this one evening when I was just like desperately memorizing this passage in Philippians. Philippians 3 verses 7, and I'll just continue on. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth. Like it's, it's not like, oh, because of the worth. The infinitely surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. It's like that juxtaposition. I consider them worthless so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Like that was huge for me too. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And that's when it goes into the suffering piece immediately after that, which I referenced already. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrections and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And he continues. And that was just such a passage for me. It was like, I need, I was living and breathing those words, right? Be like, I needed to preach to myself that everything else was not worth what I was gaining by knowing Christ, right? It's like making me emotional saying it because I remember those moments and sometimes when I go into my day-to-day life now when I'm like getting to get into more healthy patterns and like normal patterns in quotes right like you forget that God's sufficiency piece because I'm like oh I I have some sufficiency over here so I'm gonna take that right and and that's that can be disillusioned at any moment but God can't Mm, that's really beautiful. Again, we don't wish hard things on anyone, but the the thing that you're describing right now is like the God's in that business of taking things that don't make sense to the world and using it for his good and our good. Um, thanks for sharing that, Andrea. Mm-hmm. We've touched on it, but um, over the last year or so, you've gotten married, you've moved. Um, life has changed quite a bit for you. What does life look like now? Yeah, so I'll speak to more like the head injury aspects because we've talked about some of the other practical Mm -hmm. things. Um, So my symptoms, because I always think people are always really curious about these things. I am anyway. I'm like, tell me the details. (laughs) But uh, So I have constant pain. And by constant, I mean like every single second since my head, head injury over four years ago, I have had a significant amount of pain in my head. And so that's always there. But that intensity changes at different moments, depending on my activity level and those types of things. Also intermittent nausea and vomiting. But I'm really grateful. Like there was a certain point in there when I was trying to go back to school at U of T where I was throwing up numerous times a day. Like it was just really um, all encompassing. And now that's like a lot less frequent. So I'm really grateful for that. But I'm really sensitive to sound too, which is uh, this is what I mean when like catered to the things that would be most difficult to me. I'm like trying to be a professional musician over here <laughs> and I'm really sensitive to sound, right? Of all the activities in the world, it is by far the worst thing for me, right? So I think that's a lot of like, you're kind of catching me and, and I guess I always am since my head injury is yeah, in that realization piece of like, what is the same, what is different and trying to figure out those two paths of like, okay, what are the parts that I originally dreamed up that are really still meant to be in my heart? And what are the parts that like, I need to trust God's leading as to where he wants me to go and how he wants me to use my story and my circumstance to bring him glory in different ways than I would have originally projected before this was part of it, right? And so trying to figure out right now, like what is sustainable? I'm in It's taken me like I've been since I started my degree and I've been gradually chipping away at it. Like it's been like five academic years. Right. And by the end of this year, I'll be done like not even like a year and a half worth of credit. Right. So it's such a slow process. And I'm trying to figure out like, is that even like 
an end goal. Like, what can I even have a career in music if I'm limited in, in my sickness and all that stuff? Because the master's program isn't like the SLP stuff is kind of off the table now because academically, I'm just not healthy enough to get to that level of education. Um, and so I'm just, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm just really seeking discernment right now, trying to figure out critically uh, what is where it is and where and and while I'm waiting right like I'm doing something so it's 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 a really hard time I guess for me to figure out and now the whole like you know when you're younger like oh I might have might be married and have kids like around this age now it's like so weird I'm like whoa I'm like married I could have kids at this at some point I have like control over this factor of my life to a certain extent which is weird so thinking about those factors too like I want to be a mother I Connor and I want to be able to um I want to have the energy to invest well in that role and uh yeah, so that's kind of where I am right now in my whole like processing journey and responding journey to that. Thanks for sharing that. And um, I I really appreciate what you're saying. I mean, you probably wouldn't know this, but um, I actually have uh, one sibling I grew up with with a head injury and my other sibling also was had PCS like since last year, I think. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, it's it's interesting because some of these things that you're talking about are pretty related. I've never had a, a head injury myself, but I have two siblings with head injuries. So um, wow. some of those things are, are relatable um, or understandable about even just like I think when you mentioned invincibility, like I see that a lot. So um, I'm sure if my mm. sister's listening to this, she'll she'll really appreciate that. So so thanks for that. Um, and that's where yeah. this question comes from. And, and that is, you know, what do you wish that others knew about head injuries? Yeah, I was thinking about this and like, I felt like I wanted to tell them some random like fun fact about the experience of it and like very practical, you know, like this is this about the illness that you see on like TikToks and so I have concussion TikToks. I don't know if, if other people do, if that's a normal popular thing. Oh my gosh. Maybe but um, algorithm now. Now, right? Because we've talked about it. My bad. Sorry. Um, and, and I also wanted to say in response to like your sibling thing, like if anyone at all who's listening to this, like feels like they don't have anyone else who understands to like to the amount that I would be able to, whether it's head injuries or chronic illness, like don't hesitate to reach out. I'm sure they'll give opportunity, like ways to connect with me somehow all the with the information. So yeah, I think that that was a piece that I did not have at all for the first like two years was anyone I knew with this. So um, I know the blessing it's been to kind of talk to other people on that. Anyway, the thing that I want people to know, um, when I realized this, I was like, wow, this is what I need people to get, the guilt. And I'll, I'll explain that. Um, there is this like endless constant, and maybe this is just me <laughs> and I'm just confessing, but this like endless constant nagging guilt of like, either I'm not stewarding this illness well enough and or, you know, I should be doing it different different ways in this way. Or I'm disappointing others, therefore, in the way that I'm stewarding it. Or I'm disappointing myself because I've pushed it too hard or I haven't pushed it hard enough. And like, or I'm disappointing other people because I haven't communicated my limits or expectations well. And so they didn't know that they had to consider this factor. And that's still on me because it's invisible. And then, you know, the guilt of being too hopeful and overambitious. And then the guilt of being too cautious and underambitious. And then the punishment that it has on yourself and others. Like I've understood that so much more in um, be in marriage too. Like this has consequences when I'm not doing well, this has consequences on the people around me, particularly Connor, who's like really in 
intricately, obviously a part of my life. And so it's this like endless guilt trip that I give myself of like, I am not living this out the best way. And I'm like, I have had this for over four years. You get a degree in that time. You know, I should be pro at how to live with a head injury. And I just, it's that unknown piece of like, I don't know if I'm doing this the best that I can. And I don't know if it's not always direct factors. Sometimes my head's just bad because there's like wind or there's some sort of pressure, but I give that burden to myself. Right. And what I really want to communicate is like the weight of an illness is not just the illness. Often more than not, the greatest burden is that is the personal, emotional, and relational consequences of it, right? Yes, the physical thing is terrible, like like the symptoms I hate, right? But the the weight of of the difficulty is all the emotional complications. And that is where I think the grace and the love and the truth is so desperately needed in relationship with that person. Thanks for sharing that. Again, as you're talking, it's like, I want my friends who are experiencing the same or similar things to you to listen to this because whether it's a head injury or it's something else, that is yeah. huge, that guilt piece. Um, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for touching yeah. on that because I think it's really, really important. And it's easy to hide too. It's really easy to to just kind of shove it in the corner because it's not a fun or easy thing to talk about. Yeah, and I feel like people you know, you have a lot of interactions with people who are totally innocent, right? But they don't know, you know, all that you're combating with in that interaction, right? Like, and I would say too, sorry, this is another thing on the spot, that if you are in relationship with someone with a, with a head injury or whatever the condition is, if they ever choose to share your sim- their symptoms with you, remember those and like, ingrain those because I have one like I tell people I'm literally always in pain and then I'm doing something and they're like oh and and like I let's say I have to remove myself because like my pain's really high right they're like oh did you get a headache that is like the moment when I feel the least understood because I'm like you know like so Mm. you thought this whole time until I removed myself that I had no symptoms when I've actually been combating pain the whole time right Mm -hmm. and then there's the guilt of maybe I should have said that maybe I shouldn't have maybe I shouldn't have removed myself like there's all the things and so I think that's a way that you can support them and being like like when someone says oh has your has your pain gotten higher instead of that like I could cry I feel so loved because I'm like I feel seen right Mm. (laughs) and valued and affirmed yeah Mm. what were some helpful things that people around you did to support and be there for you and again this question is asked in passive tense but this can be very present too yes so my first thought is like, especially in the early stages, like they let me grieve, right? They let me cry and verbally process. And they were just there to listen and hold me and just like say that this is hard and sit with me in that brokenness. And then from that place, like that's where I am able to receive truth and the truth of God's faithfulness and goodness and redeeming purpose amidst all of this. Like, once you've established a level of like understanding and and I've can't come back to that point numerous times, but a level of that safety, then you're able to proceed like to help them seek direction and clarity and hope amidst that. And maybe at that point you can find like where I'm off in my understanding and need alignment, need realignment to Jesus and his truth. Right. 
But if you try to correct and realign me before you've even heard like where my heart is, that's, that's, you're going to get more abrasive. And I think that's true across the board, not just like in um, head injury things or physical specific stuff. I think it's just whatever journey it is when someone is able to hear you and then love you in that, you know, I've had amazing mentors and friends and family who have really been able to do that. And if not, they've asked me, right? Like that's another piece, like how is the best way that I can support you in this? And that reminds the person like with a head injury when it's invisible, that like they have a responsibility to communicate things to and even like help them build that muscle of like, you can trust me enough to tell me how you're feeling, to tell me your symptoms and like give you space or even like to check in with you on that. Like, hey, just like they can't see it, but if someone forces me to tell them where my pain is at, I have to admit it to myself and be like, oh, you're probably right. I should like take a second off, right? Um, But yeah, I think in these things, the greatest work happens between you and Jesus, right? And I think the friends who understand that, that their correction is not going to fix, but that their love may lead you to Jesus. They're the ones who ultimately spur you on to the greatest growth. Like what I actually needed and still need was dependence on God. So when I needed something to be dependent on, the ones who wanted me to be dependent on them actually did me the greatest disservice. And that is something that is so, uh, that's not innate in our responses as friends. You want to be like, everything you ever need is here with me. I'm your safe place. But to be like, you know, this is like, this is a need that God is, he's the only one who's actually able to fulfill that. And yeah, on the practical, practical bit, I already kind of connotated towards it. But those who know me like well enough to know, like, I'm an extrovert, and I really love doing things that sick people can't do. So, you know, like, know that like, help me take care of myself when I'm so tempted not to, because sometimes I find honestly, the people in my life care a lot more if I'm in a massive amount of pain than I am sometimes to a certain extent, because I'm so used to I'm like, this feels so worth it. But like Brianna, my best friend, who's our mutual contact, how Jen and I met, she was so amazing for that around my wedding too, right? Like my wedding was a time when by far was like the most active day that like that I needed for my head. I had to be on the whole day, right? And she helped me be like, okay, you need to sacrifice some things around this day in order that you're not in misery that whole day. And that as much as it was hard to sacrifice time with other people leading up to it or after it, whatever, it was like, actually, that was the best way she could care for me in that time, even when it wasn't something that like I necessarily wanted in the moment, I like gave her permission before, right? So having those trusted people who know what you need, even when, because it takes that burden of like, like I said, the guilt of trying to take care of yourself the best. It takes Mm. that burden off. And that's a practical way of sharing it. Be like, hey, I'm imagining that this is going to do this to you. So I'm going to help you steward this. Um, That's a huge gift. As you know, I'm a sentimental person. We both are. <laughs> yeah, it's very much. <laughs> just a little bit. But as you look over your life, the ways that God has led you through some amazing seasons and walked with you in incredibly difficult times, what do you treasure the most about God? This is going to sound really like, in context, it's going to seem really unexpected, or I think it would have been to me before I experienced this. But his kindness, like how kind of him to allow me to go through that. (laughs) And 
like we said, it's a different way of understanding suffering, but like how kind of him to introduce, like to reveal his sufficiency to me and my need for him at such a like early fundamental formational season of my life, like right when you're starting to be a young adult, like he is so kind in revealing himself to me and showing me that everything else is garbage is and I and I don't want to say that lightly because it was terrible like and it is like like this I would not really wish this upon anyone because it's it's such a hard thing to walk through but like I said like I know so much more of Christ through this and that is of surpassing worth than anything else and he is kind in his truth and kind in his patience and kind in his gentleness and all those things like I think all the fruits of the spirit are kind of intermingled together and each one emphasizes the other right and they all reveal aspects of God's love and so you know that that is something that like kindness was just the aspect of that that seemed really unexpected for me and he is kind also in his call to follow him and kind in his call to suffer for him and suffer with him right like that is God is love. And so the fruits of the spirit show that kindness is part of that. And so that is kind. Um, I've said that word 20 million times, just emphasizing it. Anyway, (laughs) you know, there are so many Bible verses that refer to that. And and we've already, uh, we've already discussed a lot of those. Like it is such a biblical concept that I am so grateful for God's kindness to let me know, like, let me know. Wow, that's really, really encouraging. And, you know, we, we've been talking about people's stories, you know, particularly. I mean, we talk about people's stories in every episode. But over this season, you know, we are really hitting on on stories. And it, even though I experienced suffering myself and learned that suffering is a good thing, I think I still am shocked when I hear people say that. Because it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. And I think about God's kingdom and how you know, in, in the New Testament, when they were expecting the Messiah, like that was the, the messianic him that would come and and save them. And their picture of what that looks like was power. Right. And Mm -hmm. when he came, he was not there to be great. He was there to make himself a servant and make himself Mm -hmm. man and to suffer with us. And that, that is the kingdom of God. And I think when people share their stories and share about those difficult things that that was the life that God called us to, like those things that you're saying are so good. And I think to continue to hear that from people is so powerful because it, it takes this pressure or this need to like pursue a kingdom of our own because we get to be part of this kingdom of God. And I I think that's really amazing. And you know, even just focusing back on story. I mean, I love the story that you tell and the story that you've chosen to live through this injury because it didn't have to go that way, but you lived your story with Jesus. And I think that's really cool. And, you know, your story about your brain is maybe not the story of the brain you wanted to tell. It might've looked a little (laughs) bit different, but I I think it's really amazing the way that you have, have, given that story to Jesus and let him share. Um, 
So as you continue to write your story, you know, what's the story that you're hoping you're writing that will be told about you years down the road? Yeah, the story of Jesus. And and I don't say that in like a Christianese way, you know, because it's like really easy to <laughs> to come off that way. Like, I want the life of Jesus, right? I really mean that. Like, I don't want it to be a story even of my service to God or my obedience or my desire to follow him or witness to him. And all of those, those are great things, right? And like, I do also hope that's spoken of me if when you look back at my life, but ultimately I want it to be a story of Jesus's life through me, of God's transforming power, of God's redeeming work of the mess that is me, right? Like I want those sentences to start with him, not me. And, you know, John 3 30 like he must become greater I must become less like I think that is the thing and I say that because it's the hardest for me personally to do like I want to be the center I am like a center of attention person people know this I love it I love being the center of attention right I'm like oh they're interviewing me you know what I mean like like this is like my jam and so I have to like take the bible at its word and be like no, 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 no. I need to get out of the way. And I need to be just like you said, how Jesus, you know, I need to be a servant so that God is seen. And that's the story that I want people to see is me fighting and letting God like, pull me out of the way and humble me so that he can be seen. Do you know the song? No one ever cared for me like Jesus by Stephanie Gretzinger or whatever you say. I think I sent it. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. At, throughout our conversation here is that no one has ever taken care of you like Jesus has. And I think it's a really beautiful picture because um, this artist sings this song as somebody like kind of what we're doing here, looking back on our life, that the story that we want to share is, is Jesus. That's so beautiful, Andrea. To end off our classic work friends question that I just love to ask people and that's what is the best piece of advice that you have been given yeah so obviously me listening to your guys's podcast I knew this was coming and then as soon as Jen asked me to be a guest I was like oh no I have to make a decision because every episode <laughs> I'm like what would I say maybe I'd say this and so I was trying to process this with Connor and as soon as I said what the um what the question was the first thing he said he was like well, that better be from the Bible. And I was like, aha, okay. And then I was like, do you know what? That's actually a really good point. Like of all the advice I've ever, I know, of all the advice I've ever been given, you know, it it should be from the Bible. I have had amazing mentors who I think have been able to communicate. And like the other things that people have said, right? They're truths from the Bible communicated in different words. But I am going to, this is from 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, but I'm going to say it in advice tense, or I don't know if that's the proper English term. Anyway, (laughs) so um, that God's grace is sufficient for me because his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I am to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I love that. Boast about your weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I should delight in my weaknesses. I should delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, which we don't really get a lot in the Western world. But, you know, that is a huge thing in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, that is when I am strong. Like mic drop the Bible right there. I was just going to (laughs) say, 
Andrea, thank you so, so much for being here. I love you so flipping much. And yeah, I just, when I, I remember very specifically praying for community right after high school, it was just a tough season. And you were part of that answer to, you too, Ainsley. You guys are both grouped in there. <laughs> answer to that prayer. So thank you for being really open and honest and vulnerable. And um, yeah, I hope this is encouraging for you too, because I'm sitting here feeling blessed. <laughs> thank you so much for just giving me the opportunity to share like some of my journey. And I hope that it has blessed the listeners. Hi, listeners. And, you know, we're thinking of you through this whole thing. So, yeah, thanks, girls. This whole project you have going on is, has already touched my life so much. So I'm so glad to be able to join you in it. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you will not want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. And you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> See ya. Happy Monday. <laughs>